Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. I am Molly Brown, joined with my co-host, Alvaro Jaramillo and George Armistead. Cheers, everybody. Hey. Welcome to 2024. Yeah. yeah. Hello. It's happy hour here. And, yeah. It is happy hour. We're doing another mm-hmm. evening recording. Mm-hmm. I like Not it. Not for well, me. East Coast it's, evening recording. Yeah, yeah. It's sad hour for me. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, I had I had shots today. I had, you know, I feel like a, a dog that got taken to the vet, you know, like multiple vaccines. Like oh, vaccines. I misunderstood. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you went the route of stacking them all at once. Yeah. Yeah. What'd oh. you get? So um, I've got four vaccines today, which included man, yeah, four, two hepatitis ones, typhoid, and shingles too, which is something that you do once you get yeah. older. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I got to get that. I'm scheduled for that. And uh, and this is partly because I'm going to India. So I've also got, you know, malaria pills, which I have not taken since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Been to all these places, you know, but just uh, malaria is something I've kind of never really thought it was much of a risk in most places that I go to. And then I actually had malaria once. So I feel really. Like yeah, I feel like, you know. When was that? Had it. Um, I, when I was uh, doing research in, in Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa. Okay. I got, I got this uh, crazy bout of, like, I don't know, a week maybe, where I just, yeah, cr- just awful. But I was, wow. you know, young and healthy. I don't know if I yeah. want to do that again. It's kind of <laughs> like funky while, while it happened. You'd. You'd get sick for six hours, and you'd feel good for six hours, and sick for six hours, feel good for six hours. Like real, real up and down. But oh, just at this moment, you guys are like living it up there, you know, in the evening, you know. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of celebrating the new year now. Yeah, new exactly. Year, Happy <laughs> hour. Headaches and things to come on, mm. and whatever you know, because they tell you, oh, this one could cause this, this, and this. This one could cause this, this, and that. This one could cause, and I'm like. So I'm, I'm suddenly have a bout of like, you know, any moment now I'm going <laughs> to feel really bad or maybe not. You know, it's like a, it's like a gamble. Well, cheers, Al, to your, to your new year, but also to your vaccinations. I, my uh, vaccinations. I, I cheers yeah, you. Cheers, Al. My, yeah, I'm having an, uh, I, I'm having a nice eyelay here, a, a, a Scotch Laphroaig. It smells like a tire fire. If, uh, if you're familiar, <laughs> it's about as smoky as they get. One of, one of my favorites. Um, it's like Interesting. My, pretty much everyone in the house, like, you know, asks me to move away when I drink it. But, <laughs> you know, for, um, for, for India, my upcoming trip, I think I'm going to go without, uh, malaria prophylaxis this time around because I just got done like a three week course of it in oh, Uganda. Right. Yeah. And you took it the whole time in Uganda. I did. And even, you know, the week after, uh, you get Mm -hmm. back, you're supposed to, you're supposed to keep up. Um, but also I think I'm feeling like it's dry season. I'm going to use, I'm going to do the permethrin, uh, with the clothes. 
I've recommended to everyone else that they consult with their doctor on the malaria thing because obviously <laughs> it's a very personal decision. But uh, if I hadn't just done a whole big batch of uh, of it, I might I might do it again. But I'm kind of like kind of over it for the time being. Yeah. Did you uh, have a lot of side effects from it taking it this last time? No, not this time. I don't know if you remember Molly. The first time mm-hmm. I did it. Or the last time I did it was when you and I were in Uganda, mm-hmm. and I and I kind of messed up. Like I think I forgot one day, and then I like took right, and then like, you took two. Yeah, <laughs> and then I took two, which is by the way not what you're supposed <laughs> to do. And then I felt like I felt like kind of like uber caffeinated. It like was almost I, I don't know if it was just you know whatever, but I did have some nightmares and and uh, but this time around, you know, I, I Kristen was with me, which helped. And she's like very conscientious about these things. So it was like every day, same time, you know, um, and no, no issues whatsoever. So. Yeah, makes sense. Well, so are you treating all your clothes beforehand? I am. I don't is know. That about your, is that your Yeah, I'm, I'm doing the permethrin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I have that wash and I have yet to use it. I really should. I use it. I don't even, I've never even heard of this. Oh, I use it. <laughs> I actually use it around here. Uh, as much as any place because of chiggers and ticks. Um, and I react extremely poorly to chiggers. Um, and, um, and I'm just (laughs) concerned about, about ticks, but, Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do it for these overseas, basically just spray your clothes down and, and then you've got what, I don't know, eight washes of it while it should still remain in your clothes as a repellent. Yeah, I have like a liquid concentrate that I think you 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 use as like in place of laundry detergent for a wash, which mm. like I said, it's it's sat here. And I don't I I got bites on I get them on my face when it's winter time and I'm like covered up, but then I still get bit. I got bit on a Christmas bird count the other day and I've got drives me nuts. Oh man. I get bit all the time. Your uh flamingo suit there, you know that you yeah. put on that day. That was a bit uh, repellent. By itself, by George. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah visual repellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> multi-layered strategy there. Yeah, it was weird. It attracted some and repelled the vast majority. Otherwise, yeah. yeah. You know that uh, on that vein, though. Do you know blue colors actually like blue jeans, dark blues, navies do attract mosquitoes? Um, it's, it's like one of those things that's. Uh, I think they've done some research on there's certain clothing color that does attract them. I don't know if anything repels them, but I think some of them actually attract. Tsetse flies like black and navy in in Africa, tsetse flies, which Ooh. is a real bummer because those are my colors of choice. I don't like khaki. I don't like – I used to like – buy all this khaki stuff and I was like I really don't like wearing khaki mm-hmm. and that's I mean, it like sounds like caca it, it does a little bit you know <laughs> you know but you know it's kind of that's kind of like the the go-to color for like African safari um but and that that's like apparently one that I don't know if it repels but it is not an attractant at least the way black and mm. navy are for tsetse flies hmm. um but I learned that one the hard way. I was like all attired in black and navy. And they were like, you know, you see all those traps there that are, are like covered in black and navy blue cloths? Those are to, to trap 
tsetse flies. And I was like, oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, things you learn. <sighs> well, we are recording this two days in to 2024. Did y'all go out first thing yesterday? Get your year started off with some birding? Me, I uh, I woke up to the sound of a raven. So, oh, that's a nice one. Wow, yeah. yeah. You know, they're very common here. So, you know, yeah, but so still, just awesome bird. bird. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then we went on a dog walk, but the... Actually, the exciting thing is I had a couple of, um, what do they call now? Scaly breasted munias, the old nutmeg oh, yeah. mannequin. <laughs> I, I know. I still call them nutmeg yeah. mannequins. Yeah. 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 It's in a good ba- name. In the backyard. And uh, the interesting thing is how they're spreading in Northern California. Like really not like a smooth spread. Like they're, they're going to... L- like loci or whatever, you know, just places when they sort of sprouting up from there. Yeah. Like kind of like spider web. And I think what has become like um, obvious to me is like watching where they show up is that they, they're super mobile. Like these little birds that we think are, are kind of, you know, resident tropical things, but I think they're moving hundreds of miles, like, and in little flocks and, um, a lot of juveniles and the juveniles seem to be around all the time as it's as if they're breeding nonstop, like almost like uh, morning doves, you know, if they, if the weather's okay, I think they just keep on breeding mm-hmm. and then disperse in random times. Like, you know, why would they arrive like this, this pair r- arrive in the middle of winter? It just sort of seems odd to me. It's like a really different, critter than the birds were used to you know it's just behaving in a different way almost more like a collar dove uh, in, in you know breeding you can sort of see juveniles of them almost any time of year around here and and they they went very quickly once they started going and i think that's what's happening with with these uh, munias so it's it's sort of a disturbing but interesting to have them show up yeah as introduced species you know? A lot of those astrildids, it's sort of like wet season, dry season kind of stuff and um, is to wet, you know, when they breed. Um, and mm-hmm. if the conditions are good, they might just, as you say, it might just go, go, go. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, the other ex- exciting bird was sort of a white, white-throated sparrow, which is uncommon yeah. here, but I haven't seen them. There's been one in the winter, this winter around here, but I hadn't seen them for Weeks. So I now you're talking about white. backyard birds for me and Molly, white-throated sparrow. That's right. In our yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just waiting for the uh, palm warbler to come back because he's been around twice <laughs> this, this winter. So. so, yeah, little Eastern flavor to the backyard. <laughs> yeah. What about you, George? Yeah, you know, I woke up one one twenty twenty four. Also, I didn't realize that. The last day of the year until the last day of the year was one two three one two three twelve thirty one twenty three. Hmm. So that that was revealed to me, and I was Only like, in the that, U.S. and Canada, though. Well, sure, yeah. <laughs> Most of the rest of the world it's not that way, but it's one like two three one two three one twelve twenty three. <laughs> right, doesn't doesn't have the same. Uh, 
doesn't resonate quite the same way. Um, but yeah, I woke up January 1st in Cape May, having spent New Year's with some some good friends down there. We actually you know what we did New Year's Eve. We did a, have you ever seen the YouTube show Hot Ones? Um, where they have like 10 flavors of hot sauce and it like each one is progressively hotter and you try, oh. yeah, you try and you like go as far as you can. And the interviewer in, in the show, the interviewer asks questions while you're like eating hot sauce and you have to like, you know, they're usually celebrities and they have to like try to get, you know, the answers out while they're in like pain and or sweating or whatever. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's pretty fun. So we did that, but it was like a group of 10 of us. So like we just had like a couple questions per round, but, um, but we did that, and there I must say there was a little bit of uh, – in addition to the food, there was some drink involved. So I did not wake up right at dawn on 1-1 and rush out the door, kind of lazily headed out. And I didn't really notice. I was like, oh, right, like new year, new birds. And we'd driven like, um, like I don't know, five or eight miles. And I look over and I just see this beautiful northern harrier coursing over the marsh, quartering over the marsh as, as some like to say. And I was like, oh, right. That's like, you know, that's, I guess that's my first bird of the year. I, I might have seen or heard something before that, but I hadn't really thought about it until yeah. that very moment. So I'm counting that as my bird, my first bird of the year. And I actually just did a little walk now and did my first e-bird list of the year. Nothing, no great shakes, but, you know, sapsuckers and Carolina wrens and woodpeckers and white-breasted nuthatches, all that good stuff. That's cool. Yeah, what a great first, first of year bird. Yeah, I was I was like, yeah, that's a good one. It's a good omen, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a good way to start off the year. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. Got up right around daylight. I was I didn't stay up until midnight or anything. I just had no excuse to, to not get started early, but I just didn't. But there were uh, juncos that all kind of flushed. We've got a little row of white pines here below the house, and they all took off into those. So that was a fun one to get the day started. Great and day. I intended on, oh yeah, totally. It's the first time I've had them as first of year. I always want to have a Corvid as mm-hmm. as first of year. Crow was second. They were they were up in the tree, but nice. Yeah, I'll beat you, you to the Corvid this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Done. Yeah. One of my favorites was one year I like was in bed and like woke up on one one to the sound of a woodcock you know, a painting. Oh, wow. And I was like, that is my, I think that was my favorite ever. On one, one, were you in Pennsylvania? I was in Virginia, actually. It was down in Cape Charles, Virginia. That's pretty cool. That was a good one. Yeah. Which is, by the way, where we get the, the Christmas count there gets the national high count annually. I think every year for like 40 years in a row. And we've had some years where we even have hundreds of American woodcock on that on hmm. the Christmas bird count. We had one year where we had definitely over 600. It might have been over 700 woodcock, which is – that's a lot of woodcock, you know? I can't imagine finding that many woodcock. I know. I are know. You, and we're, and we're are you just flushing them as you go? Like how, how do you – how does yeah. that work? So what happens usually when they get the big counts there, it's after a big cold snap. So there's got to be like a big – Big cold snap pushes a bunch of woodcock down, and then, um, and then, and then you find them in like little groups. Like you find them like on lawns. You know, you'll look around. You'd be like, "Wow, there's a lot of like, you know, 
brown leaf clusters, you know, around. And then you'd be like, oh, those are all woodcock. And then sometimes they're actually, like, if there's any, like, open lawn, if there's snow and there's mm-hmm. open lawn, they can be they can be quite obvious. But the way we get the big numbers is usually people hang out by right at dusk by areas that are sort of semi-open, not not farmland, but kind of like shrubby grassland open areas where there's woodland nearby and the woodcock all come out at dusk. So you hear them kind of, and you can see them depending on the conditions, kind of, you know, doing that whistle, wing whistle as they, as mm-hmm. they move on past out into the, from the roosting areas during the day in the woodlands out into these more open areas where they, they probe for, for worms and other invertebrates and stuff. And so that's how the biggest numbers are usually as like you're, you're kind of in a woodland where there's been a whole bunch roosting and they come out at night. And that's typically how they get them. I mean, the unusual count there is like 30 or 40, which is still a lot of American woodcock. But yeah, yeah, we've, we've had a couple instances where there's a really big, big cold snap. And that, that was a, you know, Christmas count my father compiled for um, decades, and uh, we we've kind of stepped away from it the last couple of years. But um, you know, maybe maybe get back to it sometime soon. But that was one of the always one of the big highlights is we knew we were going to get um, you know several dozen woodcock, and if there was a big cold snap, we might even get hundreds. Hmm. Wow, that's really cool. You know, now that you say that. Um I've had woodcock wintering out on our land the past couple years, but I haven't seen any this winter. I would think uh, your spot might be pretty good, even for, especially yeah. actually for breeding. You, you, you oh, yeah. Breeding. Yeah. Plenty of yeah. breeding woodcock. Yeah. It's really, really cool. It's, that's one of the things I like most yeah. out there, really. But yeah, it's, it's fun. Just go out and listen to like woodcock and coyote every night come oh, February. Yeah. That's typically our Valentine's Day thing. We go look for woodcock on <laughs> February 14th. Wow. That's it's an awesome fun. idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. You get like, you know, gray horned owl and woodcock. And like I said, there'll be coyote around and it's pretty fun. Yeah. There was a group here once that did a, like a dusk thing. Um, they had an annual event for a while that they called Woodcocks and Cocktails. And, um, and they would hang out right at dusk by their by their farm field and people would sip hot toddies or what have you, you mm, know, in, yeah. in the, in the chilly evening dusk and, uh, and wait for woodcock to sound off. And sometimes if they're lucky, see them. Um, yeah. But that's pretty Molly, fun. have you ever seen woodcock babies? Um, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Actually, I, well, on, on our property. Yeah. We, oh my God. Yeah. They're really stinking cute. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> Um, like baby shorebirds in general, I think, yeah. are the cutest things ever. And oh, yeah. I've seen some photos. Of, I've never seen a – my dad once found a woodcock nest at our um, our farmhouse in uh, – and that – but that was a long time ago. We hardly even ever find them there anymore, ever. Um, but, yeah, woodcock babies are pretty absurdly – pretty absurdly charming little beasts oh yeah <laughs> yeah that's great so uh yeah, it's still uh, is it still christmas bird count do we have the last couple yeah. like we're in the a couple more days, days you know, mm-hmm. more days and um i don't know if we probably talked about it but on the whole there was a time where i was sort of a don't do a 
Christmas count kind of guy for a bit. But now I do sea watches. That's my thing. My, my like deal. on so, Christmas bird counts. You're talking about. On, yeah, on Christmas, you know, and people are like sea watches. It's well, I live by the sea, so that's you know part. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of the things that becomes a a coastal. Um, uh, deal is like somebody to just sit there and watch the ocean for a while in the morning, usually, you know, as early as you can. So that was my Christmas count here, down in Pigeon Point, which is in the Año Nuevo Christmas count circle. Famous sea watching spot, too. Fam- famous. famous, yeah. But this time was a little different because I don't know if you, you all might have seen news. Um, of the huge waves in California that we just got pounded by this massive swell during a high tide with, you know, um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was actually the biggest waves I've ever seen here ever. And that was on the Thursday, right? And they kind of went down a little bit on the Friday and they were still going down Saturday. Saturday morning was the count and they were still pretty huge waves. And I was out at that point. And there was a point in time where I'm like, am I going to be one of those idiots, you know, that <laughs> sucked out by the ocean? Because it, although the point is high, it's moderately high, the waves were so big that they looked like they were, you know, almost there, you know, like. Uh, well, I wanted to ask you about that because you were sharing those videos of people getting washed out. And I uh, didn't understand how so many people were putting themselves in that situation. Like what was happening? Well, I, w- what was happening is that the the particular situation that was going on had big waves that were like standard huge waves coming in. But every so often, there was like a triple size. Like a rogue. And people weren't expecting that. I know that there was a discussion even like um, we call them rogue waves or sneaker waves as if the waves are sort of like have this little background kind of, hey, look what we're going to do. Personality. Actually, a, a right. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're doing no good. But in fact, it's a natural phenomenon, right? You just every, every so often get a big bigger one. I think that's what it was. It was like people were knew that there was big waves, but they didn't actually realize that every so often there's a huge one. And you better be ready for that one, right? And uh, that's exactly what I was like dealing with, thinking, okay, you know, if I see a really big one coming, you know, is it, don't. Don't second guess, just, you know, go out the backside of the, the, the lighthouse. It turned out to be fine. I was, um, especially, especially when I got in there, it was the biggest swell that there was all day. It sort of got lower, lower, lower. But the sea watching was not all that easy when you have basically, you know, you know, 15 feet of water that anything can hide behind. So pretty limited I, visibility. Pretty limited visibility. I, I, it was tough, you know, I mean, um, and it, it was, it, I don't think I was, you know, missing anything that was uh, distant that was arcing over the water, you know, if there had been some full marge or something, I don't think they mm-hmm. were there. So it was actually a relatively poor sea watch. I felt almost like, God, you know, I did, I'm not doing my part here, but, uh, you know, I, I found a Casson's Auklet, which is relatively rare, few, well, I mean, just to see from shore rhinoceros auklets and you know a couple of brant and i thought okay i think that's all i'm going to be able to do for the count there's not much else i can muster but the power of those waves and it's a point where you can see the waves kind of going by beside you as well you know and crashing over in the beach 
to see something that huge just sort of motor by it's pretty amazing it was but scary at the same time yeah <laughs> hmm. so, yeah that was that was my my deal but you you were out counting too right molly yeah yeah i did one a few days ago um that i talked about a little bit on the episode before this so it it went fine weather's been so warm here now in the past couple of days we've had quite a cold snap actually so things have shifted a good bit but like none of the counts around here were getting galls on the the christmas bird week count like not for the week like not even ring oh. gall you know there's hardly anything on the water but um but yeah we were just kind of <laughs> what's that no gulls no gulls yeah, so, so, I, uh, I know yeah, yeah. there should be crazy. like a there should be like a, a group that just collects gulls and gives them to the needy you know where <laughs> you, you need a ring bill gull in your county you know, <laughs> you can watch them. yeah yeah that's what i spent the count week on because i missed the the count that's like here at my house and mm-hmm. uh was trying to find that after they just they were not around Need wow. some landfills and and maybe ocean would help. Yeah, landfills yeah. <laughs> help though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have a lot of people. big land. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's there's all sorts of all sorts of issues that are stacking up against the galls around here. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, the count was going just fine. Otherwise, um, we'd gotten through most of the roads in our section really. Um, come about 12 o'clock or so and we did some alling before Mm. i had the thermal while we were doing alling and i thought this was really cool it just had a barred owl hunting that made no sound or anything i was just panning through the woods with a thermal and it was just down by a little creek sitting on a log and i that was just pretty fun um we hadn't we didn't even use playback or anything it's just cool to watch it like that wow just encountered him doing his thing yeah, yeah, it was like, it was just kind of looking down on, like I said, this log, and I thought it was like a, I thought it was a mammal at first, because it looked pretty big, and um, I, I had it in my mind, it's an area that my family actually has farmland, my brother sees tons of uh, bobcat around, and wow. it like looked like it was that height, just sitting on a log, and that was the first thing that crossed my mind, which would be so cool, wow. but then it wow. turned its face, and you could see like the shape of the face really well and everything, so... Uh, it was a bar now, which was still really cool, but yeah, we were, uh, we were doing just fine. And then I looked at my phone at noon and, uh, George, you had texted me and, uh, the plan shifted really quickly. And I ended up wrapping that up and leaving Nate, who I was, uh, doing the count with out to look for short-haired owls by himself. And I took off to Maryland for the pelagic. So <laughs> that was a fun wow. way to, to wrap up the count headed East. <laughs> I, and I am I am so glad you did too because oh I'm so glad I did. It's quite a day. Yeah, this, man, it was a good one. Pelagic has been causing waves. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Good use of good use of the term there, Al. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it was a good one. It really was. It's like. It's one of those ones that makes you, I mean, they're, they're long enough days that they're tiring and, you know, that you are thankful for rest afterwards, <laughs> but it's, yeah. is the kind of day that makes you want to just get right back out there. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, get into the thick of it again. Um, Definitely the kind of day to give you a pelagic bug. Yeah. There was, <laughs> I think there was like 12 people on board, uh, that it was their first pelagic and, uh, hmm. 
And and part of me was like, that's so awesome. Like, this is your first, you know, experience at sea. And part of me was like, I am so sorry. We will probably, <laughs> we will probably not have as good a trip the next time. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, you never know. But I guess Al, you saw the uh, the trip results. Um, yeah, I, I didn't like look past the point where it said there was like basically a record number of dove keys. Yeah, you know, everything else seemed like oh, nothing's going to be that cool beyond that you know what i mean that to me that was the story right there so i mean i don't remember if you saw all sorts of other things as well i just know that it's big dove key yeah yeah little ox i say little ox little ox well molly can attest that yes that was that was arguably the biggest part of the day i think it really was Mm -hmm. part of the day Mm-hmm. Because, you know, for, for our winter pelagics, that's really – that's that's the big – I, I was saying the big target is the little auk um, on these winter pelagics. You know, like we – we you know, that it's a it's a bird that breeds in the waters and the – well, I shouldn't say in the waters, but in the cliffs and little rocky islands around Greenland and Svalbard and um, – and and even some other places further north, and and small numbers in on on in Alaska, um, but um, you know it's it's a hard bird to connect with um, in throughout much of its range because people just don't get to where it breeds very often, and where it winters is pretty unpredictable. And where we are here, we are at the edge of its wintering range, and typically we do see them on most of our trips, but. Like I think last year we had a trip where we saw five, and like n- like maybe only half the people on board actually saw one because it was rough conditions and the birds were just fleeting. Uh, we had other most of our other trips we had you know maybe a dozen or even two or three dozen where people got some decent views, but often they're just in flight. You know, you're sometimes you know very often we get decent views of some bird on the water at some point, but. You know, the weather mm-hmm. is a big factor, the season, the weather that preceded the trip. There's a lot of variables involved. What we were not expecting was to, you know, get offshore. We left the dock early, and and by the time it was light, you know, we it was about just before 7, I guess, uh, where we were starting to see birds. And by about 7.30, we started to see Dovekey, and then we were literally in the presence of Dovekey for until about just after 3.30 in the afternoon. We were literally never not seeing lots of dove key the entire time. Yeah. Which was just pretty crazy. And we ended up, you know, it was very difficult to sense this. I was on eBird duties uh, for for all day, and and I did my best to really just keep scanning and counting, and, and uh, we ended up with 51, 56 5,156 was the total. I think everybody would tell you there was surely a lot more of them out there than we counted. Um, but uh, but that was really great. And, you know, but we also just had like, you know, the kitty wakes have gotten really scarce here in recent years, Black Lake kitty wakes. And we had, you know, not a huge number, but we had really good views of them for a good chunk of the day. Same Manx yeah, Waters. They really showed well. We had one that followed the boat for like two hours, really showed beautifully. But I think the real, um, you know, the, the Dove Key show was incredible. But like 
all of a sudden we had a black cap petrel show up in like Ooh. 120 feet of water in winter, which is just never, ever, 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 ever happens. <laughs> uh, so that was a shock. And then like soon after that, Corey Husick spotted this whale. And as we got closer, we realized this looks really good for a, a right whale, North Atlantic right whale. And, you know, the next couple views, which is all we got really, was like three surfaces, fairly brief. Um, but they all appeared consistent. And then we did get some photos of the tail that seemed to, that well, that confirmed that that's what it was. And I've had people from the right whale uh, working groups in various states now inquiring about the, the animal to try to see if they can identify it to the individual. And we're working to try to do that, but the photos are pretty limiting. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's one of the rarest animals in the world, just 360 or so total. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a real good day. It was a real good day. Not one we'll forget. And Molly, you got a couple new birds. Yeah. Yeah. Dove key and actual, uh, little gall there at the end was a new one for me. That's right. So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Little Ock and Little Gull? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you know the, is it, was the black cap petrel one of the pale ones or the dark ones? You, you it was a pale ones? one. Yeah, pale it, was one. A, it was a pale one. Um, it had a, it had a, oh. it had a big white collar and, and, a, and a pale face. So. And those are the ones where they think they breed in... Dominica, is that right? Or, or is it, I think I that's right. I was trying. I meant to look this up because I'm I'm not fresh on this. Um, as people, a lot of people probably don't know that there's there's darker ones that have sort of a darker face and especially darker around the neck, and then there's ones that have more obvious white collars. Um, and I think there might be some size differences too. The bulk breed in Haiti in. Uh, um, and the and maybe some in the DR as well in areas that are very difficult to survey up in the mountains. And then there's much much smaller numbers as far as is known, possibly in Cuba, I guess, right? Um, which is probably which should be the same maybe. ones, probably yeah. as the ones in the DR and Haiti. But then in the lesser Antilles, Dominica, Martinique is that the other place they thought there might be some? Dominica is the place they know that there's a few at least, right? Do they know that they're there now? Like is that? Sure. I don't actually know. Like that, it's been long posture uh, postulated that they breed there. I don't know if it's actually confirmed I, yet. No, I, I guess they used to, but it was thought that they were gone. So okay, you know, so that's the thing. It's like, I mean, in yeah. the 1800s or something, you know, early 1900s. That's when they knew they were there. Then they disappeared. So there was something like that went on, but I don't know. The Diablotine, right? The right. Diablotine. And they're, they, they nest, they come in at, usually often they come in at night to their breeding areas and their breeding areas tend to be up in the mountains. So it's not an easy thing to ascertain. You'd have to hike around there at night and listen for them. Although with thermals now probably in everything that ought to be getting easier to detect. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, I've never seen a dove key. Hopefully we'll see them when I go to Svalbard and. Oh, I thought you were. I thought you were going to say when I go to <laughs> Philadelphia next month. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I guess that's possible too, but you know, probably not. Uh, given that you leave, you're a vagrant over here. The, yeah. the pull to go to Svalbard is higher than to go to Philadelphia. <laughs> oh wow, that's a real. That's a gut punch right there. Yeah. Hey, come on. I've been. I've been to Philadelphia. It's not a lifer. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And, 
there's no ivory gulls here. So yeah. <laughs> oh well. Shall we shift gears here? Um, we've got some listener mail that has piled up, and thought we'd answer a couple of those questions today, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, folks, keep sending it in because it it takes us in some cases months to get around to answering it, but we will answer it eventually. <laughs> yeah. Um. So we had several questions to start this off that have come on around um this this topic, and let's see. I, I'm going to start with just this opening sentence from this email. That's I'd love to hear about the evolution of how birders share information. Does anybody seriously use Facebook or Twitter for birding news? How does that differ between continents? What about eBird, um, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, kind of going back to that beginning question, um, I, I'm going to say you all might have more to talk about on the evolution of this than than I do. Are um, you suggesting that we're a little bit older than you? Might? Yeah. So so tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're more evolved. That's why. Oh wow! Wow. That's a, well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I like that. <laughs> it is. I do think it's interesting that like like in the UK at least, and maybe elsewhere in Europe that. Twitter is much more, is much more, is well, X, I guess. No, does anybody call it X? I feel like nobody calls it X. Yeah. But, yeah. It's kind of a childish name. It's, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. It's actually more childish than Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, I do feel like it's interesting that it's just, it's a platform that's used much more, it seems to me, in Europe and, and the UK than it is here in the U.S., at least for like alerts and you know, but just generally um, among mm-hmm. among birders. birding and non-birding, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like among birders, especially, I feel like you know there there is obviously a, a chunk of people that are are really dedicated to it. But like I I'm on Twitter, but I use it more for like news following people that i think are interesting or or news that i think is actually valuable um and not i don't use it for birding as much it's like sports and politics that's where i that's what i use it for and and i don't feel like i'm missing out much birding wise uh by by not um you know anyway i just think it's interesting we don't seem to use it as much as they do elsewhere and it's the only one that has a bird on its logo which is you know kind of ironic well no longer i guess well that's true that is yeah 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 there's a there's what all this you know there's so many things now right there's threads and there's blue sky and mastodon and everybody's kind of like um, I don't know what these things are. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's there's like a, multiple kind of Twitterisk, twit twit Twittery things that are trying to sort of take over Facebook. Um, Instagram seems to be like not really useful for information. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more no. Visuals. Yeah, um, just the, and, yeah media for like uh, videos. WhatsApp is probably big elsewhere right you know whatsapp groups but you know we have yeah. a local whatsapp group in monterey at least monterey's got a whatsapp group um 
and and you start you start thinking about it all and you go to the back to like in the, the idea of evolution it used to be like a personal one to one one to two communication you know where people would have these phone trees or mm-hmm. like, um, information would go to a central person and then they would they would have to like there was a system by which people got got the info out and I think if you look at it from today's perspective in the idea of like gatekeeping and and you know the in group and the out group and all that it was definitely not you had to be you know accepted by the crowd to be given the information it was a very very like um intense sort of you got to prove yourself as a birder before we're not we're going to waste your our time on you kind of thing so now it's more democratic but what's happened i think is we had like a sweet spot at some point where everybody was getting information readily and there was there was few maybe like just like listservs and stuff might have been the sweet spot and then now there's so many different ways that it's so fragmented that it's now not no longer like the right um it's it's equally bad, you know, in a sense, like it's now democratic, yet the information isn't available for everybody to sort of There's see. no centrally located There's place no central, where everybody can be like, okay, well, the information's yeah. gonna be here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then and then WhatsApp groups, I think for them, you have to ask to be on them. So you're we're back to the uh like you gotta know you gotta know somebody to get on that group versus just signing up, you know, and you know, with your computer and just like being part of this so I think there's a need at this point in time for some some service or something to almost put together all the information that's coming out. And eBird is actually one of the best in terms of like it if you just get the alerts, but the alerts have no details often with them. And and often there's stuff that will go out that may not even be real, right? Because it hasn't been, you know, gone through the yeah. channels yet. So I, I do think we're like we're kind of in a poor a uh, part of our birding. It's sort of the wild history. west, right? It's kind of like yeah. the wild west yeah, at the moment. Is. Yeah. Yeah. We started off pretty bad. We ended off pretty bad. And there might have been a <laughs> cool point in the middle where it was like the sweet spot. <laughs> and then that, that, that we, we kind of know is possible. But I don't know if you guys agree with that. But I, I, I generally do. I thought that the listserv yeah. times were pretty good. You just like, you were in on the county listserv. All the info went in there. Every everybody got it. You know, yeah. Do y'all use you know, listservs now at all? You know, now there's not much info, right? Like it's yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I West Virginia has one. I still get it. Yeah. yeah. The funny, you know, as someone who is a lifelong dedicated birder, and like, I completely missed the listserv era. Like not completely, I subscribed, huh. but I mostly did not read and mostly like, so like when, when Facebook came along, I was like, oh, this is great actually. Cause this is like, you know, I, I did get birding news through Facebook and WhatsApp, like, you know, for a while. Um, that was kind of where I, I liked that. And, you know, and then group me was soon after that and there's. I feel like now, group me at least around in the East Coast. Generally, I would say group me and Discord. Group me? Sorry, I don't know. Group me. It's another messaging. It's basically WhatsApp, right? Yeah. Like, okay. 
It, yeah. It's better than WhatsApp. I shouldn't say it's better, but it it one feature is that uh, I don't know if it's still true of WhatsApp, but the groups were limited to like 250 people on WhatsApp. Yeah, and so if in some places um, that just is not enough, um, and um, so a lot of people switch to GroupMe, and I subscribe to more alert text groups about birding on GroupMe than any other. Um, service. Um, but there, Pennsylvania, for instance, switched to Discord, and which I think is a pretty nice venue for organizing information. Like there's, and also, you know, one of the age old things with these alerts is like, all right, is it an alert where you're just sharing rare bird alert information or is it a chat? And a lot of them try to sort of straddle the line between them, and then it's not always clear what's appropriate and what's not appropriate on an individual um, group. Uh, and one thing they've done on this Discord in Pennsylvania, at least, is they have a chat and an alert for every county in the state. Uh, and they even have some other discussion groups. So any of that, once you join, you're, you know, any of that is accessible. I think they've done this. I know they've done the same thing in multiple other states, like Arizona has a Discord. Um, I think mm-hmm. I think Ontario is in the same boat. Okay. Yeah, I think Ontario is the same. Al Peter Burke was telling me um, that's what they're using there. I feel like that's the one where it's heading in that direction. And I I wouldn't be surprised to see most other states, provinces follow suit just because it does seem so well designed for this. But a lot of the groups are so well established as well. A lot of people be hesitant to change from their group me or – Telegram is what we were using in Philadelphia for several of our groups and is still being used kind of while Discord is also being used. So, yeah. Just the Discord thing, You, if you download the app on a, on a, on a laptop, it is really annoying. It's so awful. I have to like, mm-hmm. you know, I think on a phone it works okay. But like, don't, don't use the, the, it's just like all these messages and stuff and you're like, uh, I have it only on my phone, and I have all the alerts turned off. Yeah. Same. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting how they, some of them don't function all that well. One medium versus the other. Yeah, they, Telegram. We've got one of those locally here in the Bay Area. Um, I don't think Discord. They're trying to do a Cal- California Discord, I think. And yeah, Monterey is WhatsApp. I feel like the oh. bigger the group, the larger the area the more that Discord seems to mm-hmm. be where people are headed. Um, we'll see if that's true. It could be something that starts tomorrow and will gather steam. <laughs> that's the problem, right, is that there are mm-hmm. so many, as you say. It's, like, hard to know yeah, where to get your fragmented. news. Yeah. Yeah. Just, like, talking about this gives me such a knot in my stomach. I need to, like, check my phone because I think I'm on – is it tele- Telegram, right? Mm-hmm. I think I'm on a few of those groups, but I have notifications off and I don't know what group it is and I don't know what I'm missing. Oh, there's so much to keep track of. We use GroupMe as like a a statewide thing, which is all that we have in West Virginia now, except some some folks still use the listserv. So, you know, like if so-and-so is birding, check the listserv for that, that sort of thing. Um, And then there's a Facebook group that's kind of the catch-all. And it's sometimes your news for, for a rare bird and is otherwise a lot of discussion. But we have a group me for a statewide 
rare bird alert, and then just statewide bird discussion. But like you were saying, Alvaro, it is still fragmented because for Mm -hmm. local birds, I have like local group chats with friends who are out birding, but that of course excludes people. And, uh, oh, geez. (laughs) So difficult. No, I'm actually, I I would, I would say that it, there's a, a role here for like, you know, an organization, a birding organization to actually begin to like um, um, help to like foster some some way of getting information in and out, you know, in a good productive way for folks. And not just not just rare birds, right? And, and not just chat, but sometimes just uh, I think we're losing um, – nobody reads magazines anymore, right, too, right? Like – uh, mm-hmm. Like the way that birding and, um, you know, used to be sort of one of the main ways you would get information about birds, birding magazine. Right. Or, they still read uh, them, but birds. not for not for news on rare birds. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can get you sort of um, it, it, it's it's their impact is lessened, you know. So now you can get all sorts of information like from Twitter on papers or things that are happening or conservation issues and so forth. Again, that would be great to have like some group to sort of start putting it all together for birders to sort of almost like a clearinghouse, you know, of, yeah. of, of info. Um, it's tough. Uh, you know, you'd have to get, you'd have to have a lot of input from, from the community. But I do feel like yeah. we're losing out as a community by not being as, you know, communicative in a sense. Well, I think the the other there's a flip side to this too, which is that that I've experienced, and I know some others have experienced as well, which is that you can be out birding um thinking you're having a really great day or just or just at the very least a pleasant day. And then all of a sudden you can your phone starts vibrating or or you know alerting you that there's a rare bird here and there's a rare bird there and there's a rare bird there and there's a rare, and all of a sudden you're like you're like oh geez I should go look for that I should go look for that I should go look for that like and also why aren't I finding those things you know and you it can actually have a completely different effect um so like while the news is great to have the volume of news at this point can be overwhelming to the point that it actually negatively affects what would have been a perfectly fine afternoon of, of you know, of of birding, you know, casually enjoying seeing what you're seeing, and all of a sudden you think, well, geez, I didn't find that, or or I was there yesterday and I didn't see that thing, you know, or or whatever. It's it can, funny. It, I, I don't get that at all. Like I, if there's a bazillion rare birds being seen around me, I'm oblivious to it. It's like I'm here now. Yeah. Like, who knows what'll happen, but I don't actually get at all any fear of missing out. Like it's absolutely zero on in my bird or brain. It's like I'm I mostly don't either. Um, but there are there are times when I've been like definitely like I'm going out specifically because I think the weather, the season, um is good for this bird. And I'm gonna go look really hard in this place for this bird. And then you don't find it and somebody else finds it like yeah. <laughs> randomly nearby. And you're like, oh, oh, pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I've definitely had that happen. Um, but and I've and I, I as we've discussed, I'm not much of a chaser. 
but there are times when I'm like, ooh, I should go look for that. Or like, I would just like to see that species of bird. And so the result is for me that I've mostly turned off my alerts and then I check them at home, you know, just out of curiosity to know what's being seen. Hmm. Yeah, I, um, I, yeah, I don't know information. Like I, I do think sometimes the information makes you realize that, you know, you were on the right, like you just didn't find that rare bird, but you were on the right, you know, you, you just can't. Sure hit hit it every time to know that things are happening is kind of interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I must admit like when, if, if there's two boats going out, like two pelagic trips going out on the same day and then they score the super rare thing that does feel like, ah, you know, yeah. oh. but, um, but uh, on the other hand is when, when you are the one that sees the rare thing and they don't, it doesn't, it's, it's funny. The, uh, it's the it is the missing out that hurts more than the actual win. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I yeah. definitely agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> fear like, of losing is greater. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's not like I go, hey, you know, we saw that. Whatever. No, it doesn't matter to me at that point at all. It just feels nice that we saw something cool. But mm-hmm. right, I, I do see it that way. I can get that that very parallel, like two boats going out. Yeah, you know, try not never schedule yourself with another boat. <laughs> <laughs> Word to the wise. Yeah. The, the information though, um, the other thing that obviously I think is, is kind of troubling to me is that, and it's a question of volume, right? It used to be that you could just tell people like back in the day about owls, you know, and people would go and see the owl and they'd go, Oh, great. You know, we saw the owl still there and somebody else goes next day or what have you. But, you you didn't have that major issue of like somebody's going to disturb it, and even though it has always happened. Now, I do wonder if what are we at exactly today? Are we really in a in a situation where it is way worse than it ever was, or do we fear that it's way worse than it ever was, and we're like actually controlling the information in a way that we m- completely minimize? the potential for any owl to get disturbed to the detriment of hundreds of people who would like to see that owl that would never disturb it. Right. I, I do wonder sometimes, you know, it's sort of like this, you know, fear that every parent has that, you know, white man's going to snatch their kid or their pet dog or whatever, you know, like, and, but it actually doesn't happen all that commonly yet. The one time it does, it makes such news that we feel like it's happening all over. And, uh, but it's a shame that you can't just, tell people now about things that could make their day, right? Yeah. That could make hundreds of people's days. And then now we have, you know, and then if you do, you're like a criminal because like, you can't was, talk so about you, owls, you, what do you do? You, know? you can't it's win like, either way with some of this stuff because it's like, if you think you're doing the right thing for the owl or for even not an owl, just some other bird that maybe it's sensitive for some other reason then your people yell at you for suppression you're suppressing you know and and then it's like if you do share it 
it's like you can be vilified <laughs> just the same. So I've seen it happen recently where somebody found a rare bird and basically everybody yelled at that person. <laughs> so it wasn't like, you know, it was, there's, I think there's definitely, I, I, the, I think the bottom line is that there's more birders. There's more people than ever before birding. And so you've got the bad behavior is magnified now more so than before yeah. and it's actually occurring more often as well just because there are more people doing it but you've got i i also think that the sort of consumptive um side of birding the you know uh what some people are calling sort of entitled birding you you are seeing that more now because you know i think often the way everybody gets into birds too is Listing is is how is how you kind of organize your thinking about birds. I think for everybody, lists are important. Uh, but as we've all seen as well, they can get away from you. They can become a point of obsession, and at times, at times of unhealthy obsession. At times, it's just sort of a fun obsession, right? But at times, it could be an unhealthy obsession. And I think that that behavior is more visible and noticeable now than it has been in the past. Yeah. I, two things come up that I'm thinking that just came up this week. Uh, Brian Sullivan, you know, our friend Ebert, uh, Cornell, uh, Birds of the World. He's worked on lots of stuff. Yeah, we got to get him on he, here soon. He, Yeah, he, he's, uh, you know, he, um, he was talking about the big year that some folks were doing in Monterey County and put out some statistics and basically said that one of the things I thought was interesting was that the, the Monterey annual list goes, it fluctuates. I know between, I think, was it, I forget, but it was a fluctuation of about 25 species, like whether the top years versus the bottom years. And he said, this is obviously can be bigger if we all go birding in places where we're not chasing rarities, but we're actually mm-hmm. spreading out the eyes yeah. to to see more things and actually invest more time in in finding things rather than than seeing things that have already been found. Then Kimball Garrett, he he published something to the LA birders the other day where he basically said, you know, we should really start thinking about the five mile radius as our our go to. That's what I'm gonna start doing. Back. Yeah, of of what we what we're doing, uh, also make it make it a little bit more dense, right? So you you you're actually looking maybe at at places you you might not have because you don't have that much to work with. It's five mile radius, right. and and also he said, what if what if on your list you couldn't count a bird that somebody else had found? I think it yeah. was self found birds. Yeah, self found birds. Yeah, that, and I I think he wasn't trying to do it in an elitist way, but. It was again right. more about like developing skills. So much time, yeah, going mm-hmm. to see birds that somebody's already found. Well, there are thousands to be found by others, yeah. which we're missing, and then in a sense, we're not really, really, you know, yeah. being even in how we, we do our birding. I thought those were pretty cool things, and I mean, mm-hmm. I I essentially never chase a bird. So I'm I'm kind of I'm I already bought into that thing and 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 I do feel that some people think it's an elitist way of thinking right like that oh why you know why should I do that I can you know but it, it, that's not the the point is more about like if you're thinking about trying to really understand what's around and really kind of 
uh, maximize the eyes that are out there. What could we do is that kind of thinking, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I would venture to guess that the, the diversity of like communication platforms that we have, I think could attest to this, that I do think that the percent of like diehard listers as a, of the the total amount of birders is probably decreasing and continuing mm-hmm. to decrease. I think there are more and more people who are interested in birding in a more, I don't know, casual, local, um, recreational. Yeah, like what, yeah. whatever's not list oriented, um, kind of way. I do feel like there's more of those people um, as yeah. well. Like sometimes you Which suggest may- the idea of eBird to them, and they're like that. They look at you like you're crazy. They're like, that is not Mm -hmm. what I'm about. Like I'm out here to enjoy birds. And I want to be like, that's cool too. That's good. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I live with one of those. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. like a bumpy, our Jimmy and I's first like, uh, like big road trip together. We, we were, um, camping with friends in New Mexico and we like had this discussion of, of looking at the, like hundredth Wilson's warbler versus walking up the Canyon to look for other stuff. And it's not that I didn't want to do that, but I also wanted to know what else is out there. Um, so we, we have a lot of push and pull in that in our household. And like, I don't know. I, I really, really do like looking at blue Jays every single day. Like I, I don't get tired of that at all, but I also like going out and seeing other things too. So mm-hmm. I, I, I get that side of birding as well. Yeah. It's like that. I'm the same way. A mix is nice, right? Like just simply admiring the blue jay is is something I treasure as well. But yeah. then also like I want to find a Lacant sparrow, or I want to I want to I'm targeting this day, this weather for golden eagle. You know, um, like there's that as as others have said, there's a million ways to bird, and I do I do like the five mile radius idea because I think it forces you to start to think like the bird, right? It starts to, you, you have to, you actually have to learn more about the bird and, and the self-found part too. You have to learn more about the bird in order to find the bird, you know? And I think that is, that it wants, and as you do that, you just come to have more appreciation for the bird itself. Mm, That's, I've found myself more like obsessive over the past couple years on, oh on patch birding or like county birding. That sort of thing is what's really getting me just consuming a bigger portion of my thoughts than other things I have, which is currently barn owls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, like while I, we were talking the the palm warbler showed up, you know, which is the third time I've seen it in the backyard. Western palm. Thinking, yeah. And rare, pretty, I mean, rare enough that it'll make the uh, e-bird, you know, trip, you know, and it'll be in the rare birds of the day kind of thing. But I'm thinking I'm probably the only one who's seeing this. Like it's not, nobody else is detecting this individual palm warbler in the county and it's in my backyard and it goes somewhere else. How many other, like in the five mile radius kind of thought process, right? It makes you realize that if, if there's a cool bird in a birder's backyard, there's cool birds in everybody's backyard. Exactly. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's so much out there that we're missing. And- I've certainly – and I think that's one thing that 
you're you're sort of tr- suggesting here, Al, is that like rather than chase the bird that you think you want to see, maybe just go birding, and you might see that plus something else, um, right? Because you right. you do see, I, I've seen it here where a needs alert shows up for what amounts to a, a an uncommon migrant, um, a regular yeah. but let's say uncommon migrant or scarce migrant, and I see people chasing after because they need it for the year or they need it for the county or the state. And I want to be like, sometimes, you know, you'd be like, you don't need to chase that necessarily. You om- And you almost might be better off looking for it on your own. You might have a better chance that way than chasing the one that you think you might get. So. Yeah. Yeah. Circling that back to the communication platforms, the the like whatever versions of group texts that I'm on really get my, my gears going for that and get me thinking about those things a, a lot more than I had before. And I really like them for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know, um, some folks have also requested uh, Canadian content, more Canadian content, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, yeah, uh, they have. We, we've gotten mention. that. Uh-huh. We've gotten that more than once. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and I'm like, I'm like, geez, you know, I think, I think we can, we have a lot more Canadian. It's like it's a give that. a mouse a cookie situation. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but I just wanted to say that one of the people that I grew up um, watching or hearing about as a birder who was older than than me at the time, and just sort of, um, you know, really sort of finding cool things and so forth. This guy Bruce uh, Delabio. Yes. From uh, Ottawa. And Bruce just completed a big year. But now, you know, we've talked again about big years being, are they played out? Are they this and that and what have you? But if you restrict it to a different geographic area or place or a way of doing it, I think it becomes a little bit more interesting. And he did it for Canada. And so he got 480 species in Canada in the year. He actually ended up you know, uh, he, you know, this was hardcore stuff. He, you know, he fell on the ice like, uh, you know, yeah, like two days to go or something, of, right? Two days, a couple of days to go. Like, really, yeah. you know, almost this could be a good movie. Bruce. Yeah, really. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> we could call it the big year, eh? And then, um, <laughs> <laughs> but what's cool is that he's a birder's birder. Bruce has been as dedicated his life to birding, nature study, talking about birds, teaching people about birds. You know, I, he's a leader in the birding community in, in, you know, in Ontario and Canada. And he started this, he tried to do a, a big year in 1976 when he was 18 years old because he heard about this guy, Ken Kaufman, uh, back in the day. Uh, and uh, he thought it was possible at that time to do 400 species in Canada. And he never was able to really finish the big year because of various things that happened. In fact, when he started doing his big year in the 70s, he didn't even have a car. So um, I think it's pretty cool that somebody who had this dream in uh, 1976 and, and has been thinking about big years did an amazingly big, big year for Canada, yeah. 480 species, which is insane i think you know if yeah i mean uh it, it's uh so you know um i think it's a cool a uh, bigger story given that it's uh it's it 
you know, the restriction of having it be within Canada. Yeah. And he's totally different. Yeah. And he's been, it's been percolating for a long time and with somebody who has tremendous amount of experience and yeah, it's been, it's been fun watching that unfold over the course of the year. It would be interesting to talk to Bruce about that. Hopefully we can do that sometime soon. Super nice guy too. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. Uh, on his page, I've enjoyed some of the old school pictures he shows of birders from the 70s and 80s as well. Um, he, he every now and then he'll find some gems and post those, and those are those are pretty classic. Some of the uh, bell bottom jeans and that's right. Some of that, and like everyone's and wearing like Bushnell 1050 custom binoculars, which were <laughs> you know enormous and the best anybody could imagine at the time, aside from maybe some Zeiss. But and yeah, huge like cars, you know, like sort of these giant station you know, wagons and yeah, giant station wagons, you know, land barges. <laughs> Such a <laughs> so crazy, yeah. No, that's pretty cool. Yeah, if, uh, I think a five mile radius big year would be an interesting thing for somebody to tackle, or or start doing them in different places and have you know a you could almost score them and uh, not rate them in a, in a proportion of, of the local list. you right. Like, so that. That's a good know, point. Yeah. Right. Not everybody on the coasts are, are winning or, you know, getting the best uh, proportions, right. It'll be, in fact, maybe some place that, that is, has a, hasn't had much birding happen where it would be easier to actually go, go all out and say, this is what's possible in this part of, you know, we're, where we live or where you live or what have you. But um, I do think that doing different ideas of how to do some of these goofy birder games that we do is, is, is interesting to contemplate. I agree. Well, we've come up on the hour, as we say on this podcast, this is why we don't get to many listener questions very quickly. <laughs> because that was, we that was a good a one. Though. That was a good topic. Yeah. It was, yeah. I'm sure we could say a lot more about it. Yeah. But, well, I guess it is time for us to wrap up here. And uh, we're we're back. I forget again. What season is this? Season four of Lifeless. So wow. we're, uh, we're coming back at you weekly before we all hit the road again. Wow. Season yeah. Four. So if yeah. You're like, if you're a gull born, a herring gull born in the first year or hatched the first year that we started, <laughs> you're an adult image right now. Wow. Really yeah, we we use if we go by season, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not by time actually, but yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. A few more a that's few right. more years. Uh yeah, that's right. Maybe yeah, we got to do it actual time like uh seasons we, are like uh cycles. Not full it's cycles. Like, yeah. 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 Cycles. yeah. Like, <laughs> two seasons per cycle, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. <laughs> One day we'll get to albatross uh Immaturity stage. Ten year, yeah. I hope. Eight, yeah. Oh boy! And podcasting years, we uh, podcasting years. Yeah. Still, guess we're chipping away at that. Something else. They'll have enough. I imagine so. Do, you know, an you know automated version. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Anything that either of you want to shout out before we before we scoot? I'm gonna. I'm going to have stories about India in a few weeks. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, as yeah. I've been talking to you, my, 
my injection site, one of them, it started like throbbing, like you wouldn't believe, which um, is weirdly like, <laughs> I can't say that I dislike it. It's sort of weird. It's uh, <laughs> painful and it's, it's sort of like, uh, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. I'm not okay. sure. I, I'm not sure I do want to hear more about that. <laughs> we'll see if we get an update on this for the next yeah, episode right. or not. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll just yeah go to sleep now and get feverish, but we'll see. <laughs> Maybe. Well, all right, everybody. On that note, <laughs> I think we'll catch you next time. Right on. Thanks, Cheers, everyone. Bye bye.